Welcome to the Overcoming Sexual Abuse Podcast, where you get the tools and inspiration to help you overcome childhood sexual abuse. I'm your host, Christina Anavoldson, certified coach, author, and incest survivor, and I'm here to help you heal and live your very best life. These are the top eight things that may already be frustrating you or stopping you from healing. I'll share how and why these things slow you down and what you can do to avoid them. And then I'll give you empowering alternative approaches so you can heal and finally put your past behind you. Okay, mistake number one, not making space for healing. And not making space for healing can manifest in several different ways. It might mean waiting for permission to heal. It might mean trying to make your healing convenient for everyone else in your life, or not putting yourself first, or not asking for the support that you need, or trying to do 50 other important things while you heal. When I started healing, I tried to do this. I tried to squish my healing in as small a space as I could. And in my heart, I was thinking, oh, is this okay? Am I bothering you? Is my mess making you uncomfortable? Are my emotions okay? And I felt really guilty because all my life I'd served other people. And then for the first time, I had to say no to people. I had to stop being available to whoever needed me. I was just way too exhausted from all that work of healing because healing is really tiring. And I didn't have the energy to solve everyone else's problems the way I used to do. So though I tried to keep things to myself, my emotions just spilled out everywhere. I had angry outbursts. I was that kind of morose. I used to call it, I had sunshine days, which weren't very many in the very beginning, and I had cloudy days. So I had cloudy days uh, for, sometimes it only lasted hours, or sometimes it was several days. And I used to cry for unknown reasons, and I'd cancel plans at the last minute because I just couldn't fake a cheerful smile. And that put a lot of strain on my husband, especially. On a particularly tough day, I was so frustrated and angry, not with him, but with the whole process and all of the emotions coming out, that I threw some toilet paper rolls in his general direction, not to hit him, but just, um, not that that justifies it, but that was definitely not a proud moment. When Don and I were first married and learned, we were learning each other's imperfections, we joke and say, hey, that wasn't in the disclosure statement. Well, my healing was definitely something neither of us bargained for. And I felt like it was really unfair to him that my healing impacted him. This was my issue and he didn't ask for any of this. And that was true that he never asked for any of this. It wasn't fair to him. But you know what? I never asked for any of it either. I didn't get a choice in whether or not I was abused. I didn't get to decide if every area of my life was impacted by abuse. Just to be clear, Don was amazingly supportive. But even if he hadn't been, nobody else had the right to decide if it was all right for me to heal. I don't have to apologize for my healing process or the things it brings up. Though I did actually have to (laughs) 
apologize for that toilet paper roll incident. Healing was my decision to make. For the first time in my life, I chose me. Healing was for me. And Dawn and everyone else in my life did eventually benefit from my healing. But it wasn't about him and it wasn't about anyone else. And by the way, if you're a parent of young children, because I get this question a lot, you might think that your healing should wait until your kids are older. And something to consider is that healing is good for your kids. Healing helps you be a better parent. And if you want more about that, there's an article written by a survivor, and I'll link that in the show notes. So your healing will take up space. It will require time, energy, and money. And it's perfect that it does. Because abuse teaches you that it's wrong to take up space, to ask for anything, to prioritize yourself. And it tells you that you don't have inherent value and you need to constantly work to earn it. But you're a human being. You have needs and you don't have to be strong all the time. You're allowed to fall apart. You deserve to be loved and supported. Yes, it's your turn. When I was in school and our class had a field trip, I'd have to get a permission slip to attend. And when I was absent from school or absent from an activity, I had to have a note excusing me from that. And you can do that for yourself. Write a permission slip for yourself expressing your right to heal. And if you're involved in anything right now that feels like too much, write yourself a note excusing you. And then speak up for yourself and say you don't have the capacity at the moment. So let your healing take up space. All right, mistake number two. Thinking there's a better time to heal. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could put a pause on all the struggles of everyday life while we face the past? It really seems like the healing journey is challenging enough, so we should be able to opt out of other challenges, at least temporarily. But we know that life isn't fair. If it was, we wouldn't have been abused in the first place. And to be honest, there's never going to be a time when healing is convenient. No one wakes up and says, hey, this seems like the perfect day to heal. However, the more you heal from the past, the better equipped you are to deal with the challenges in the present. So the sooner you work on your healing, the sooner you'll have the results of healing. And if you're telling yourself you're not ready to heal, what does that ready look like? Do you have that specifically defined? A lot of people tell themselves they need to get their so-called ducks in a row. But that's a way of fooling yourself because you likely don't even have ducks. So define what you mean by ready. Like specifically, I'll be ready when I graduate university. So be specific and define that. And I do have more about the timing of healing and the uh, delay of healing in the next episode. All right, so mistake number three, believing that information will heal you. Information on healing won't heal you. And just think about this. There's never been more information available on sexual abuse, trauma, and recovery than there is right now. And that's amazing. My healing certainly benefited from this abundance of information, and likely yours has too. 
it's fascinating to learn how the trauma impacted you and also a relief to discover it was the abuse, not you. Plus, it's important to validate the effects that you're experiencing and to know that you're not alone. The trouble is that learning by itself doesn't bring healing. Maybe you've recognized that for all you've learned, you still haven't made the progress you've hoped for. And maybe you're still in pain, still treating yourself poorly, still in dysfunctional relationships, still in unhealthy patterns. And it can feel discouraging to learn so much about healing and yet not see your knowledge translate to healing breakthroughs. Many survivors go from one book to another, one website to another, one article to another, or post memes on healing without actually benefiting from that information that they take in. They get an insight, and without a pause or breath, they're on to the next one, more and more. And that's like sitting at a banquet table surrounded by wonderful food and eating without tasting or enjoying the flavor or being present with it, just scarfing it down and then going on to the next plate. Or even worse, it can be compared to malabsorption in the body. And that's when the nutrition you're taking in passes right through you without doing your body any good. So gathering information is a mental exercise. It's helpful. It's good to understand, but healing isn't a matter of understanding in your head. Healing has to go deeper than that. And the truth is, all the information could actually be holding you back from healing. It's the illusion of progress without really moving ahead. And you might be exhausting yourself on all that information that you don't even use, and that can leave you overwhelmed and too tired to do the real work of healing. So seeking information can be nothing more than a coping method to distract you from the actual work. And as long as you go from one thing to the next, that's just entertainment. To heal, you actually have to digest and absorb the information. And digestion starts in the mouth. So when you get an insight, you need to chew on that. Consider it. Mull it over. You have to absorb it. How does this apply to you? Why does this matter? What sensations do you feel in your body? What emotions do you feel? And then what actions can you take to apply this? And then take any corresponding action. Healing absolutely requires action. If you're ready to actually use the information to heal, I've created something for you. It's a workbook and journal to take you through the steps to experience actual healing breakthroughs to get that for free, the link is in the show notes. Okay, let's go on to mistake number four, relying on someone else to fix or heal you. Okay, this is a tough one. So uh, abuse leaves us feeling very inadequate to improve our own lives. And after all, abuse is the act and experience of being overpowered. And I don't know any survivors of abuse who initially feel capable and empowered to heal themselves. And that leads to looking for someone else to fix us. So we turn to someone else, like a therapist or some other support person, yet no matter how much they want to, no matter how skilled or knowledgeable they are, nobody has the ability to heal you except you. And I see this a lot in my Flourish Healing 12-month program, and I tell everyone 
from the beginning that I can't heal them. I can only give them the tools. I can help them overcome their blocks. I can help them have insights. I can give them guidance and encouragement. I can facilitate the group experience, but their healing is in their own hands. And if they heal, it will be because they did it. And so that's hard to hear. And many people don't hear it and can't even comprehend it because it seems impossible. But midway through the year in Flourish, this happens every time, the light bulb turns on and they really get that they're empowered to heal. And they take charge of their healing and it's amazing to see what happens. Then it's breakthrough after breakthrough, success after success. Nobody else can heal you, but that doesn't mean you have to figure out everything for yourself and you don't get help. You're definitely not alone. So if you have trouble believing you can make significant improvements in your life, then think about positive changes you've already made. What's something that you've accomplished that was very difficult? What's something you're proud of? What's something people acknowledge you for? And consider that healing is going to be another one of those things that you're proud of too. Okay, mistake number five, trying to heal without a support community. Have you ever noticed that people, after struggling with addiction, find sobriety only after they join a program with group support? And that's absolutely no coincidence. Because research shows that our brains, hearts, and bodies respond to relationships. That social component empowers us to do things that feel impossible. And that relational or social energy is like biological nutrients to our bodies. Relationships not only serve our needs in that moment, but they serve our long-term well-being as well. They're the building blocks to life. And it's absolutely not a sign of weakness or a sign of unhealthy dependence to need other people. It's a very healthy signal to seek out people who care about you, who are there to support you. Abuse causes that disconnection and isolation, but healing brings us back to connection. And connection is a very valid need that won't go away just because you may not know where to meet it. And even if you try to Tell yourself that you don't need anyone or you can't count on anyone anyway. That need doesn't go away. It's still there. So you need support of some type, whether that's the form of understanding friends, a structured support group, a therapist, or one of my group programs. Okay, mistake number six, treating pain like it's the enemy. It's a very human thing to move away from pain. Throughout human history, that's been a great survival strategy. That pain of hunger, the pain of being eaten, the pain of freezing, that pain prompts us to avoid those dangers. And those are legitimate threats to life. But just because we feel pain doesn't mean there's danger. There's some very old wiring telling you that your life is at risk every time you feel pain. And unfortunately, every time we run away from pain, we reinforce to our brain, oh, that thing, that was really dangerous. That reinforces those neuropathways so it gets harder and harder to face the pain. And when we try to block the pain of sexual abuse, 
We don't block it from coming in. It's already in there. We're blocking it from coming out. And that stored pain is denied pain. To release it, we have to accept it and acknowledge it first. Those emotions have been deeply buried because as children, we weren't equipped to handle that. It was way too much then, but we're capable of experiencing that now. Each emotion carries a message. You may have heard that emotions get us into motion, and the ones that feel unpleasant, like pain, are meant to move us toward change. And the change might be internal, external, or both. And those unpleasant feelings are meant to feel uncomfortable because without that discomfort, we wouldn't be motivated to change anything. Knowing that they aren't the threats to resist or run from, they are actually our allies. So feeling pain means there's been an injury. It's a signal to withdraw, to protect yourself, and to slow down to allow yourself to heal. In the case of pain from sexual abuse coming up long after it's over, then pain protects us from expending too much energy when it's time to rest and slow down. Because healing happens in rest. Pain tells us where the wound is so it can be healed. It helps us connect with ourselves and with that past experience. Because without the pain, it seems surreal. Pain helps us believe that the abuse happened so we can address it. It's, it's our job to examine pain's messages so we can benefit from it. And when we run from it, we often miss the message. And resisting the pain just amplifies it because if you don't listen to it when it whispers, it's going to start shouting. So it's important to allow and sit with the pain. But what do you do when the pain has been suppressed for so long and built up over time and it can feel overwhelming to finally face that? It's especially true if you're inexperienced with simply being in your pain. And in that overwhelm, you shut down. And that's not what we want. And so that leads us to mistake number seven, because these go together. So mistake number seven is relying on coping rather than self-soothing. Likely part of the reason for healing is to feel better. And then all that pain surfaces when you start to heal. And then you likely run to those old coping methods that causes more pain, more things to heal or repair. And maybe it even stops you or slows you down. Even before I started healing, I invested a large portion of my life trying to avoid feeling bad. I disappeared or went numb when there was even the threat of unpleasant emotions. I disassociated so much of my life away. Then I started to face my past, and I, as many years as it's been, I still vividly remember how painful it was when all of those memories came up that I'd repressed for years. And some ways I dealt with the pain were helpful and healthy, but other ways weren't very good for me. They felt great in the moment, but not so great later. They may have been okay in moderation, like eating chocolate, but I didn't use them in moderation. Moderation, what's that? The higher my pain and stress levels, the more chocolate I ate. Avoiding the pain left me feeling powerless because I saw pain as scary and bigger and more powerful than me. 
And then the way I coped with the pain made me feel even more powerless because no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't stop, even when I saw how much those coping methods were hurting me. And over time, I gained a lot of weight and I endangered my health. Actually, my body is still repairing from all that I put it through over the years. And the mistake I made and the mistake a lot of survivors make is in thinking that the only choices around pain are to be overwhelmed by it or to avoid it. And that's actually not true. The truth is you can feel pain without being engulfed by it. I did need ways to help me feel better, and I needed them to be things that kept me present instead of abandoning myself. And that's the difference between coping methods, which help you disconnect, and self-soothing, which helps you stay present. And so the fear of being swallowed up in pain doesn't have to haunt you, and it doesn't have to stop you from letting the trapped pain out. With self-soothing, you can experience your pain in a very conscious and empowered way. It reduces that fear of being emotionally out of control or engulfed or overwhelmed, and it allows you to feel and express your pain in smaller doses. An example of a self-soothing exercise is deep breathing, and you might already be familiar with some deep breathing exercises. I also have a complete guide to self-soothing that's available on my website, and you can find that link in the show notes. Let's go on to mistake number eight, not acknowledging your progress with celebrations. Okay, this is the last one, but <laughs> it's funny because celebrations are a good thing, but it's funny that survivors avoid this almost as much as avoiding pain. And I really get that. I never used to celebrate any of my accomplishments. If someone gave me recognition, I immediately listed my shortcomings. I panicked I'd be discovered as a fraud. And I never thought it was good enough because I wasn't good enough. And I criticized myself saying, I guess it's fine for now. Or what took so long? Or anybody could have done that. Or I could have done better. And when it came to healing, it was the same way. Whatever breakthroughs I had, however I grew, whatever I faced, it was never good enough. And I always wanted to be healthier, further along than I was. I thought I needed to be hard on myself to motivate me to keep going. But it wasn't the huge motivator that I thought it was. It's hard to enjoy doing things for someone who is never satisfied with what you do. And I was never satisfied. That do more and more and more and more was just more abuse. And abuse can't produce healing. Not only that, but we move in the direction of our focus. So looking at my deficiencies wasn't pointing me in the direction where I claim to want to go. Just notice that we are on a planet that is traveling around the sun at a speed of nearly 67,000 miles per hour. At the same time, it's rotating around a thousand miles per hour. Does it feel like you're going that fast? You probably don't even notice it. I don't notice it. It's that way with healing too. You don't always recognize your forward movement. And the thing to know is that part of you wants to grow and heal and improve and change your life. But part of you wants to stay safely put right where you are, doesn't want change. and. The brain, your subconscious, knows you can survive right where you are, so it resists change. And to get you 
not to change, and even to discourage you, it hides your progress from you. It distorts where you are in your journey, so you dismiss, ignore, and discount your progress. You might even think what you're doing isn't even working, so you might even quit. So we have a tendency to see everything through our current emotional lens. When we're down, everything seems hard and hopeless, and when we're up, we tend to view things more optimistically. So let's play a game. So right where you are, look around in your environment for everything that's blue. What do you notice that is blue? Now close your eyes and name the objects that are red. All right, open your eyes and now look around at what is red. How many things did you miss that were red when you were focused on the blue? You'll find what you're looking for. And when you're looking for objects that are blue, did you count blue-gray or blue-green things as blue to count more blue things? So we find what we're looking for intentionally recognize, celebrate, and record your progress. Look for and focus on every breakthrough, every healing win, any progress you make, any effort you invest, and then anchor those celebrations in some ritual, like a special meal, an event, an activity, or something else you enjoy. There needs to be some sort of emotional attachment to your celebration. And this might seem trivial, but it's actually very powerful as a way to refocus and to stay on track, to stay motivated and energized to keep going. And one of the benefits of recording your celebrations is to have a collection of your healing wins to read to yourself when you're feeling discouraged. You will find what you're looking for. So thanks for joining me today. Remember to collect your free healing breakthrough guide. That's a workbook and journal to take you through the steps that set you up for healing. To download that for free, go to the show notes page at overcomingsexualabuse.com forward slash 001. When you download that, be sure to accept my invitation to subscribe to my emails and I'll send you lots of helpful healing tips and resources. I'm bringing you more on healing, boundaries, self-care, family dysfunction, and so much more. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of it.